You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. Kalla inna al-insana layatagha. No, but indeed, man transgresses. Because he sees himself self-sufficient. Indeed, to your Lord is the return. Have you seen the one who forbids? A servant when he prays. Have you seen if he is upon guidance? Or enjoins righteousness? Have you seen if he denies and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees? No, if he does not desist, we will surely drag him by the forelock. A lying, sinning forelock. Then let him call his associates. We will call the angels of hell. No, do not obey him, but prostrate and draw near to Allah. It's also, uh, we are live on our website, rr365.co.uk forward slash live and on our Facebook, 8th of April, 17th of Ramadan. Iftar today is at quarter past eight in Glasgow. I'm your host, Zubair Akram, with program Reflections and my guest, Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Surah Alak, inshallah, as, uh, as uh, we've been doing for the last few uh, days, uh, yesterday we started the second part of um, the, the, this Urdu Magatana Dusra Rukh, the second portion of the subject. The first one was the ayah number one to five, Iqra Bismi Rabbi Khalaq. And then we started with um, the next bit, which is Inna Linsana Layatra. I think we connected this with what we've been discussing, the theme of apostasy uh, or takfir, um, people leaving the religion and how uh, some people who don't take heed of this part of the um, scripture, that they feel they're self-sufficient, maybe in knowledge, and they become haughty and then they become um, without knowledge. They think they possess knowledge. And they also fall in the same category of of uh, these these ayahs. Is this Sheikh a, a 
a connection which is allowed in tafsir to make? Um, did I make that connection? I don't know. Well, I, in that sense, I, I, that's an I interesting asked. one you made. <clears throat> so I'm thinking, are you re 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 um, repeating what I've said in the previous session? No. Or is this... I'm asking. I'm asking. <clears throat> that's what I thought. I didn't. I didn't make that jump. <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting. That's an interesting jump. So, so yeah. basically, what you're saying is that that indeed no indeed nay indeed like english is so difficult to translate no way in colloquial english no way no way jose you know so it's like however you can emphasize a rebuttal that's what it is in the insana layatra is like you in indeed human being is is considers himself to be self-sufficient so the first thing was i said that this idea of considering, imagining themselves. Is that they imagine themselves, think themselves, and postulate that they are. Not that they know. Know is like you have definite knowledge. So this is kind of conjectural, um, eerie-fairy kind of imaginations that a person has. That what? They're sitting back and they're having, you know, Im you know imagining a situation where they are mustaghni. They are totally independent of everything. They don't need... I mean, if you're going to say that, you might as well say, I don't need time, space, I don't need a place to live, I don't need the natural process of the body to stay alive, the blood circulation and so on and so forth, the immune system. You know, you're not mustaghni in that sense, but, you know, the more that we get money, and ghina, you know, is is basically this idea of wealth. Prasam said that al-ghina is not from the, the amassing of a lot of goods, but rather ghina, which is True, um, you know, um, enrichment is ghina nafs, which is the, um, the enrichment of the soul. The more you enrich your soul, so what happens here is people think the more they can enrich things other than the soul, which is body, so also the, the intellect in terms of arrogance, you know, not thinking correctly. Um, that is what's mentioned straight away after the, the, big, the first five verses. And so, your thing was you were saying that can, can you know, kufr, I don't think takfir, but kufr, can it, leaving in a, I mean, apostasy, hmm. you mean ridda, so not takfir, takfir is the act of um, stating somebody else is not a Muslim. Ridda is to leave hmm. a state hmm. of faith. No, it no, can, I, I, and, and, and to be honest, just to finish I mean, that, there, hmm. it is definitely the case that the majority of people I've met, who've spoken to, in the situation where they said, I don't want to be part of this faith, is all based upon this intellectual arrogance. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this sense of, well, other people have something far more superior. And it's based upon you know, he imagines that or presupposes that or thinks that. Not that they know it, because I spoke to somebody um, it was about four years ago, and they were, they were somebody I had not met for like it was about 15 years. And he said, well, you know, Muslim world is all full of people killing people and Islam is a violent religion. And what is the history of humanity except for religious people killing people? And 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 then I said, what's okay, so there is wars taking place on the earth. There's, um, you know, there's about a million people died almost directly as a result of Western intervention in the Middle East. Okay, let's start there. And he kind of was mumbling a bit. And then I said, okay, okay, leave aside that which is absolutely true. Leave aside American intervention in Vietnam and 
the fact they've been involved in the 50 wars outside their own territory since the Second World War. Leave aside all of that. I said in human history, what's the situation with, um, you know, um, deaths? I think I mentioned this yesterday, the whole idea of how many people were killed in religious wars, how many yeah. wars in history have been religious wars. It's negligible. And all of a sudden, he realized that he couldn't get away with just saying that statement to me. And he mm -hmm. started dissonating, saying, oh, well, you know, I don't feel um, spiritual energy. And he was, he was making things up at that point. He realized the, the, the rug was taken right from under his carpet. He was exactly that. You know, when people leave Islam hmm. and they have this, they, they inexorably have this sense of intellectual superiority, you know, moral superiority that they're cleverer than the Muslims. Hmm. And this goes back to this whole thing. Right at the beginning, I remember I did mention about um, human civilization and the way that people market it was GDP, um, gross domestic product. And you, I think you had a, a, we had a bit of a ding dong um, back and forth. Agreement on this, but yeah. is there's like, like research done. Rina, you know, Rina is like uh, wealth. So we think, okay, GDP per capita yeah. GDP. Okay, you know that you know the Anglosphere, which is has the highest, some of the highest GDP in the world. It also has the highest rates of depression and anxiety in the world as well. Huh. And there is, and, and in fact, there's studies done. This is a positive correlation between. Um, GDP and rates of ingrained depression and anxiety. Yeah, hmm. and and hmm. so what they th what they say is that this idea of, of rena, which is wealth, idea of wealth and rich, being rich and feeling that you're rich and sufficient, is not related to worldly possessions. Hmm. You know, so this hmm. is so important because it comes up in the Quran so many times about people en enumerating their wealth. Until they get to the graves, you know this whole idea of, you know, <laughs> you know, collecting gold and silver, not spreading in the way of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This is a light motif, a theme in the Quran, that this leads to the state where you think you you will live forever, you have wealth that will allow you to last forever and and be self sufficient and not need anything. You can just drip feed this into your life. The reality is. The, the, the nafs which is who you are your your sense of yourself you know is where you think of who you are you're not your bank balance it's separate to you it's one mm. component added to your family friends society and um, where you're living the your health wealth is one add-on it's, it's like a what do you call it in in in, in um your computer program it's like a um what's it called plug-in mm. it's a plug-in to make who you are, it's all these plugins, and we one. were doing some. We were doing yes, one. We were doing some um, changes on our website, and we wanted to do something. And then the developer had to come back after doing it work on for on for about two months. He said, "Oh, we can't do it because if we put this plugin in, all the other plugins don't work." Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you have to have plugin. You know all this. You and me, we know all this kind of stuff. So plugins in a in a website, you know, they're there to add functions, but you have to balance them. And so wealth is one of these plugins you have to balance with everything else. And so in the West, what we find is, and this, in fact, in the Muslim world as well, in the Arab Muslim world, the rates of de depression and anxiety increased after having been very low before the Arab Spring. They just shot up after the Arab Spring. So this idea of contentment, this idea that we failed in an attempt to escape. For example, imagine you're in prison and you're about to, you want to escape and you've been oppressed and all the rest of it. You're a political prisoner, imagine. And you're just about to get it. And then all of a sudden, 
you're thwarted in your attempt. That deflation you get, you know, this this sense of um, failing is going to affect your personal rena, your kind of nifs, your your sense of um, you know, kind of you know, value. Well, well, well so that's really important. So what I'm getting is that this whole journey of of mankind, or the whole whole journey of human being, is to attain calmness, stillness. And if anything that interferes in this stillness is something which is not wanted, mm. and this and, and this thing which is the feeling of self sufficiency is also an intervention which actually ultimately kills your stillness. Mm. Because interdependence is what's required, not the feeling of self-sufficient. Yeah, not the, not the feeling of independence. Yes, because yeah. remember, independence is good. Like no, the no, child, in, interdependence. Interdependence. No, interdependence is 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 what we need, not independence. Exactly. Like as a nafs. Yeah. Because what we find is like a child when they get. I've noticed my son. The moment he turns seven, I can see that he's wanting to impose his independence. So if mm. I say, okay, let's wear this. For school, and he'll say, usually he would, he would just capitulate, but now he wants, even if he's going to wear it, he wants to do it in his own terms. Mm, so you mm. have to Im impress upon other people that, that, you know, I can make my own decisions, you know, and it, it'll get to the point where I've got a friend whose son is like, you know, obviously wants to make his own way in life, but he's basically calling his bluff and saying, okay, if you want to do it, you make your own life, like mm. you earn your own living, your own house, you know, if you can support a family, support a family, which is, Calling the bluff, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting mm -hmm. that that is that independence is the feeling of us and the falling of us, and inter the understanding of that we're inter inter interdependent, as you said, mm. is the fact that we go back to this idea of human beings are based on uns. The insan is based upon this meaning of uns, which is it's a double edged edged sword. You thrive on human interaction, but you also use that human interaction to you know lose your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you get lost in the world you get lost in connections and people and things like hubb al-jah like the, the, mm. the desire to be known and to be in the public you know public arena it becomes a, a disease which is one of the worst diseases of the heart and so mm. everything that makes you up makes makes up who you are is a double-edged sword Havas chup chup ke bana ah, leti I knew hai. this poetry coming. I knew, I knew <laughs> Havas chup chup ke bana leti hai seenhe mein tasveerhe. Ah, ah. Iqbal ye kata na ke, you know, we, we do this, um, we do this like as if nothing is going to happen. But the havas, yeah. the havas of being known, yeah, the, 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 silently the, creeps the, the in. The pool, the pool, that kind of, yes, it's the pool, havas, yes, lovely word. Havas chup chup ke bana leti hai seenhe mein tasveerhe. Yeah, amazing. It creeps in and just makes these images of immortality. Yep. Wow. Yep. That, that guy was, you know, Iqbal was underrated, you know that? <laughs> Not in this part of the world. Nobody in Pakistan, nobody in Pakistan really cares about him, you know that? That's so underrated. Actually, I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they were saying, you know, we miss the fact that when our when our fathers used to meet together, They'll just throw a iqbal, you know, just while they're putting their shoes on at the at the mosque. <laughs> like just throw out a line of iqbal just to put their shoes on. Yeah. And here we are, is a third generation, a, a bunch of delinquents, illiterates, um, unable wow. to string a sentence together. Or Wadsworth, he was saying we, we don't even use Wadsworth or Keats or 
mm. in the great English poets or or, or Robbie Burns, Scottish poets. <laughs> Imagine going to the mosque and getting people getting quoting you Robert Burns. Robert Burns. Well, it needs to be quoted. I think we need to we need to learn and we need to disseminate. I think poetry poetry is amazing in the sense that it cap it encapsulates so much in just one sentence. Yeah, because shi'ar, shi'ar in Arabic is from shi'ur, which is a feeling. It's like this deep feeling that you cannot articulate, but it's like pours out. Yeah. And sha'air is like the sha'air of Islam, you know, this term, are the things that are, are indications of Islam, like the minaret, the dome, um, the Kaaba, for example. These are the sha'air of Allah, because they manifest themselves. They kind of pour out. And yeah. you know, you're here if Allah still allowed you to be blessed with here. Um, <laughs> like they, 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 they kind of stand on end. Yeah. When you hear something that affects you, you know, something good or bad, it affects you. You're, they say the hair st- stood up in the back of my, my neck. Yeah. So that is because something hits you that you cannot, that you cannot make sense of, your body can't make sense of. So all of a sudden, it does something that's outside the norm of how the body works. True. And so with shi'ar, it's like the Prophet said, indeed, from from among shi'ar is uh, magic. You know, this kind Ooh. of, this wand of, um, you know, incantations that come from the ability for human beings to take what Allah has taught them in terms of words, in terms of names, in terms of indications, use the Im- implications of words and the association of words and the metaphors and the and the literary um, devices that we have in our disposal, and create something that you cannot even do in a movie. You can't even create the sense of power that language has in a movie. And this is why the Quran comes and says it's not shi'ar. The Quran says the Prophet was never a shi'ar. It's one of yeah. the attacks on him. Yeah, but yet it's, it's powerful. Yes, it's it extremely, extremely powerful. It is powerful. So, Sheikh, yesterday we finished off with this ayah that ultimately you know just beware you have to get back to someone inna ila rabbika ruj'a surely to your lord is your return so after yeah, so I, I did that I, th- I think tongue in tongue in cheek at the end of the yesterdays i think i did mention yeah um, mcconnor mme mix mix you know you don't know i don't know if you ever watched mixed no, martial arts or no i i haven't you know mcconnor is you know who um McConnor is the Irish mixed martial artist. Yo Khabib. Yes. From Dagestan. So yeah, obviously you know him. He's famous. But anyway, before these fights, and even boxing fights, they have this um they basically you know ha- put psychological pressure on each other. And they mm. say, You can when you're in the ring, I'm going to make you cry. Or you know, I'm gonna break this and I'm gonna do this and before you know, and they're very poetic sometimes. You know, they'll say that, you know, um, you know, the next time you see a light is going to be in the hospital or something. You know? mm. And then this happened with Khabib and um, McConnor. And Khabib just said nothing. And then he basically said, you know, we, when we get into the ring in his own Dagestani English broken accent, you know, when you get in the, in the ring, I'm going to break your, I'm going to uh, smash your boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then... He's basically saying, at some point, you're going to have to stand in front of me. Hmm. So you can hmm. do all the posturing you like. You can do all the mockery you like. 
the showmanship you like. A few people, a few people know that he's Dagestani. People, I mean, he's known as Russian, right? But yeah, really, Dagestani. yeah. I mean, I, I thought people not, know not many people know but didn't know that Dagestan is part of Russia. Because, yeah. um, but I the emphasis is I mean, it is very important to relate him back to where he belongs, which is the reason why, why you have to is because if you ever met Dagestan, I had, I had um, yeah. a couple of really good friends in, in when I was studying um, in, in Syria, specifically from Dagestan. Real, mm. I mean, mashallah, like and Chechnyans, really good friends, and uh, there's no messing about with them, and their akhlaq is top notch. It's like there's no physical messing about with them <laughs> and their akhlaq is yeah. top notch. Like it's a combination, subhanAllah. This is uh, Islam gave them. This is why they hold on to it so greatly. Um yeah, so this is the whole thing. Inna ila rabbika ruja'a, that indeed to your Lord is going to be the ruja'a. This kind of it's almost as if the train is left and it's circular, it's gonna go all the way around, and there's this this track only comes back. You know, like imagine a, a you know, Glasgow underground. <laughs> you know, if you get on a Buchanan Street, okay, underground. You're going to come back to Buchanan Street underground. Yeah. So imagine you're in Buchanan Street and there's somebody you you swore at, and they're on the platform, and you're in the train, and you and you leave, and you think you've 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 missed, you know, no consequences. You get to what Saint Enoch Saint Saint Enoch Saint Enoch's next, and then it's Bridge Street and and Shields Road and Kenning Park. You keep going around Ibrox, um, I'm going to name all of them here, Partick, and you get to Kelvin Hall, and then you get to St. George's Cross, and you get to Kilcadden's. You know that person's still on the platform. You couldn't get out in any of these. And guess what? When that op- that door opens, that knuckle is going to smash your face. <laughs> You're going to get back to where This is my misspent youth I'm, I'm thinking about here. But the, you, you understand the point, don't you? You understand yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah. This, 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 this life is a circle. You, God created it. And it's a, you go. It's like sending out somebody. You're going to have to come back. Mm-hmm. And when you come back, there's, a, there's some kind of examination here. So you can, you can postulate, boast, do anything you want. You can, like, you know, the, the wars that happened in the Middle East on the back of the, the Western intervention. You know, there is like this. Immanuel Kant has this amazing idea that, you know, it's called the categorical imperative. It's actually for him proves that God exists, which is he sees people, you know, creating so much oppression, injustice, killing, and and the most vile things they do on earth. But despite that, everybody believes in justice. Everyone believes that justice should be done. Why should we believe that everybody? There's nobody in the earth that I know of, I've heard of, does not believe. That they will be ult- some kind of ultimate justice. We hold on to that as communities, societies, civilizations. And he said, it doesn't make any sense unless you know that justice ultimately will be done. You know, when the end comes, it has to be done. And he says, look on earth, you see people killing and maiming and being unjust and dying and not having to answer for anything they've done. And we still see that and we still believe in justice. Otherwise, what would we do? We'd become we would join their club and become oppressive and just fight oppression with oppression. We don't. And he said, well, the reason we do that is because we know that there's somewhere else where justice will be done. Mm-hmm. Just that, he, he said, we know deep down as human beings, as insan, you know, we would say as insan, that this ability to think, if the Ines tells us that there's somewhere where this 
will be administered justice. And he says that can only be done after you die, and that can be only be done by a judge, which is God. So he doesn't set out to prove that God exists. He says the way we behave shows that God exists. Hmm. And so this is the, this idea that inna ila rabbika ruj'a. This is this in, in different ways. This verse proves that God exists. That's, that's the Kantian proof for God's existence indirectly. So I think the previous lesson, I think the previous session, I did provide another proof for God's existence. Street. I, I mean, I didn't think anyone's thought of it, but there was another thing. So. The more you do the tabur on the Quran, the more that you understand its layered meaning, its impact, and its power. When you say it's a proof of God, so someone who has doubts, mm-hmm. is this enough of a proof? No, no. It's 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 one of these things that some people will say. Well, you know, we see injustice being done on Earth, and and we see people who are unjust getting away with it. Mm-hmm. How does that make any sense? Well, we just use the Kantian proof that he provided, which is that everybody believes in justice. The reason they believe in it is because they know ultimately it will be done. If it's not done here, it must be done somewhere else after death. Hmm. But so that's this, a proof of life hereafter. Yeah, life hereafter, but you have to have a judge. Like, if you come to the end, you just if you say, okay, you have another life after the, after this, and then in that life, you could have another situation of justice, mm-hmm. injustice. And then imagine you die in that life, then you have another life of injustice. So it's why a, do we still a, believe in... It's, it's a delayed justice. It's a d- delayed yeah, it's, it's judgment. Delayed, but as human beings, as, as Muslims, we believe that as well. Dua. That it's yadakhiru ila yawm al-qiyamati ahiyanan. It's very famous scholars say that sometimes in the part of the hadith of Prophet Sallallahu that dua is either accepted here, or you're given something better, or that it will be delayed for you on the day of judgment. Hmm. You know, in the hereafter. And so we understand there's an idea of delay. There's an idea of you're not mustaghni, you're not completely disattached to the world. Not everything happens in the way that you want it. You know, there's there's a, there's an order to how things work. When we learn, we learn the alphabet. And then if you're learning English, it's the worst language to learn because what you what you read is not what is pronounced. And so that struggle, you have to go through it to get to the next level, get to the next level. That's gradation to that which we talked about. And it's oh, the so same I'll, thing I'll, with I'll, justice. I was going to take a break, but I'm not going to because this <laughs> this, this concept of istighna is also linked very deeply with tadaruj. Yeah, I just made, I just made the connection. I don't know how but there was a connection there. No, no, it, it came to me and I was just about to say it and you said it before me. Khalas, this is, <laughs> even though we're four hours by air, air, air flight distance. SubhanAllah. Seriously. As soon as you said istighna... I should be your student. Del- no, delayed, delayed justice, delayed acceptance of du'as. It's not delayed. It's a daruj, isn't it? Yes, and you know, you know, there's um. Come to think of it, if you mention that, I'll mention something even better, which is that there's a study. <laughs> there you go. About, huh? There you go. Okay. Yeah, go yeah. There's a study about knowing the success parameters of a child while they're in their infancy. There's there's ways of finding out if your child will be successful, which is if they have this idea of delayed gratification, it's an indication that they will be very successful in later life. So we give them two marshmallows, halal, halal, with, with halal, gel- halal gelatin, as you need to have it, keep a halal here. Um, and you tell the child, if you have this now, you can have it now. If you have it later, you'll get two. So this, I, the child, if, if they want it now, bad, bad sign. You need to work on that child. 
They need to work on the fact that they need to think to the end result. And so if you eat it, if you have it later, two hours later, even though you're hungry, you get two. And so the intelligent child will think, I'll ha and they're not thinking, they don't know what delayed gratification is, but that's what it is, tadarruj. That in some way, they're, they're understanding that to develop and grow, sometimes you have to take short-term um, damage to gain long-term. And so this is, you know, this is a sign of the child being able to intellectualize, to articulate and to think about things deeply. Subhanallah. Um, you know, time coming up for break. And in this half an hour that we've had, uh, people who've listened to it, you can listen to it again on SoundCloud and on our uh, YouTube as well. Uh, some amazing concepts. And one of the concepts, one of the areas we've introduced is Dagestan. Actually, there is this, um, I read a book, um, not in uh, the full, it's, it's a biography of Rasul Hamzatov. I don't know if you've come across. Uh -huh. Rasul Hamzatov, he's a Dagestani. And he, uh -huh. I don't know if it is in English. I've read in Urdu. It's, it's translated from Dagestani to Urdu. And it's full of these lessons. The, the, we, we've, you know, delayed gratification, uns. It's actually, uh -huh. I think, if, if there is one thing that comes out in the entire quite a thick autobiography is uns you know how mm. interdependent people are communities are and what happens to a community when they realize and recognize they are interdependent mm. so rasul hamzatov is a name to remember uh, a dagestani uh, iqbal can i say mm. Uh, Radio Ramadan, Reflections with uh, Sheikh Razan Muhammad. Uh, we, uh, just before the break, we finished off, I would say, ayah number 6, 7 and 8 of Surah Alak. Uh, I think everyone can hear me, yes? Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Hmm, I can't hear you. Faisal, we have to fix this, sorry. No, no, uh, I'm, I'm on. Oh, oh, okay, you're on. Okay, I think you're yes, on. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> The next few ayahs, the next few ayahs, which are very interesting, and I want, I have a question. I have a question in that ayah. Um, the next few ayahs. Hargiz nahi insan sarkashi karta hai, is bina bar ke wo apne aap ko beniyaz dekhta hai, halanke palatna yakinan tere rabhi ki taraf hai. Tumne dekha us shaks ko, jo ek bande ko mana karta hai. So there are two characters here. Tumne dekha us shaks ko, जो एक बंदे को मना करता है जबकि वो नमाज पढ़ता हो सो दीस टू कैरेक्टर्स हु आर दीस टू कैरेक्टर्स यस सो अरईत अल्लजी अनहा डू सो दिस इज अ क्वेश्चन दिस इज कॉल्ड अ रिटोरिकल क्वेश्चन व्हिच मींस इट्स अ क्वेश्चन डू 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 सी एंड व्हाट्स अंडरस्टूड यू हैव सीन डू नॉट इफ आई से डू नॉट डू नॉट अंडरस्टैंड Like mm -hmm. you should understand, it's clear. Have you seen the person that forbids? So you can forbid numerous things, but this is this is revealed in the context. So there's also asbab and nuzul. Asbab and nuzul are the the reasons why things were revealed initially. And the mm -hmm. big thing about this is, if something's revealed about something initially, it means that it's this is the reason or this is the backdrop to why it was revealed. But then it has further utility in human history. In other words, whatever happens here in terms of 
um, the verse and the wording itself, it will be immediately and directly relevant to the Prophet life. And then as a result of that, we will also, because the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a universal message, be able to universalize that to other people. So that this instance actually is very early on in the seerah of the Prophet in which Abu Jahl um, comes and he does something very interesting, which is that he, he says that, you know, if Muhammad even dares to come in the sacred precinct of the Haram, which is where the Kaaba is, and prostrates, he said basically that I will stamp from what I remember he said he will stamp on, I will stamp on his neck. In other words, he will for, forbid him, and the way he would do that was to physically accost him and to attack him. And this is his claim, this is his claim to fame that he will do this because the Prophet was obviously dismantling the the narrative of the Quraysh, this undermining the, the social um, fabric of, of their society, and first and foremost, undermining the religious um, standards that they were holding themselves to. And so the Prophet is the one mentioned who is being forbidden, you know, is being prevented. So yanha is to prevent. Have you seen the one that prevents? Hmm. Prevents what? Prevents. What is it? The, the person is being prevented from, from what? Injustice? Is he being prevented from, um, you know, you know, illicit acts? Is he being prevented? He's being prevented from an act of piety. Abdan idha salla. He is preventing a servant, meaning a servant of Allah, for the simple reason of praying, for the simple reason of articulating the, his his um, worship of Allah in a public context. So in this, in this, it's two people: the Prophet and Abu Jahl. And from that perspective, it's a simple story. One person wanted to pray, another person didn't want to pray. He said, "If he prays, I'll step, I'll stamp on his neck." Mm-hmm. And Allah is just saying, you know, look at the situation. Look at this amazing situation of one person just wanting to pray in public, another person just wanting to stop him. And so it has it has some insight into the seerah. But I think it has, in that sense, it has limited meaning if we just take it to be somebody wants to pray, somebody wants to stop him. But mm. the purpose of it is yanha abdan idha salla. His general, his general thrust is what, and it, it resonates throughout human history, because what's being indicated as a generic pattern is, do you not see this people that stop people from just being good people? Hmm. Like this, this came up in the, um, in the um, you know recent the, the SMP. Um, um, was it the first minister? Was it, it was a, a the leadership con- yeah the leadership contest. Yeah, and yeah, one yeah. of the one of the candidates was right away off the bat questioned about her religious identity, questioned in, in a sense which which should be actually against every equality rights that I know of. You know, there's there's a I think 2010 Equalities Act that if she wanted, she could have taken the the journalist she wanted that interviewed her to court. Because mm-hmm. it's 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 um it goes against the Equalities Act Equalities Act 2012, 2010 for the simple thing of as- ascribing yourself to a religious tradition and then being able to speak about it openly mm-hmm. and so people being hounded in public office or in in a public s- situation for having religious views is exactly the same as what we you know this sort of, sort of alaq is talking about. A and this is how I mean, this is how. 
This is exactly how we should approach Quran, that it is not just a book which has a context in that 1400 years ago, but it is, has a context for us. And we map and we correlate it to our situation. <laughs> really? No, of course. You yeah, know, yeah. The yeah. thing, the reason, the reason I re read the Quran, and sometimes I'm just like, I need, I need to sit down. Is like it's just so real and raw. Sometimes, hmm. like hmm. the Quran here is, is is very very clearly um, stating something which is a specific, which has an, a universal archetype, which is that people in power and authority that, that drive the agenda want to dictate. The agenda to the point of taking people's ability to act in, in, in a public context because essentially the Prophet is praying in public, they wouldn't have a problem. Abu Jahl wouldn't have a problem if he if the Prophet was praying in Dar al Arkham, for example. He hmm. didn't want him to leave Dar al Arkham, he didn't want companions to go out and tell other people about it. He wouldn't care so, because so. he knew the economic system was going to be under threat, the, the system of slavery was going to be under threat, the system of having complete you know, slave control of your women is going to be under threat. The ability of the privilege of the Qurayshi tribe is going to be under threat. Everything is under threat. The moment that you make just, a just universal two, statement publicly. So just these two ayahs out of this um, surah alaq can easily make this uh, uh, surah fit our title. We said Islamic civilization. It's a civilizational surah. Yeah, I was going to come to that because because you mentioned that. One of the things of building a, a real civilization is a civilization where the divine who created us is part of the conversation, yeah. is allowed to be part of the conversation. A society which which bolts in the minds of people the ability not to discuss or talk or engage with the religious aspect and spiritual aspect themselves in public life is a society that's doomed to complete annihilation. I've said that. I think this, I said this when I was when we were doing Surah Rome a couple of yes. years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think I did it when Surah Al-Kahf. It's a thing that I very vehemently disagree with. That you cannot articulate anything in public life which is faintly religious. And the the, the worst one for me is you know in in, in Britain you have the radio for, radio for um, thought for the day. Thought for the day, yeah. Religious, and sometimes you listen to it and you think, for goodness' sake, You're like skirting. you. You're skirting around. You're talking about your cat and cat food, and then right at the end you say God, or you don't, and you say something like, "So I pray that the divine will ease you in your suffering, or ease you in your difficult day today as you get your coffee." Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and this is like Archbishop, and this is even like Muslim contributors, and it's so cuddly and so lovely. And the reality is, you take religious, moral, ethical teachings out of the public sphere, you are emaciating public discourse. Emaciating meaning you're making it like a skeleton. Yeah. Because the whole history, the whole tradition, Western tradition, is based upon um, ethical, philosophical thought. You know, you watch. Um, there was a movie. What was it called? Um, Three hundred. So, so this is a movie about. The, the the you know the ongoing Sassanid and um, Byzantine wars between the Romans and uh, the Greeks sorry the Greeks and, and the and the Byzant and, and the and the, the Persians and there's one of the battles there was only three hundred of the of the the Greeks left and they fought and right at the end it was all 
kind of pseudo-historical, but at the end they had this whole speech about the, 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 the benefits of democracy and and they just put it in. But essentially this is all hot air. Everything that they have is hot air if they if they demote religious values and they just make it secular. And these verses are very, very powerful because it's not just praying, but there's there's an impact to prayer. There is a there is a the correlation to praying to God and knowing that there is a there's some kind of moral truth, absolute there's some kind of moral absolute truth that everybody agrees upon, not just Muslims, but every single person. There are certain givens. We don't live in we don't ascribe to a relativist relativist um, agenda. And so this could be just two people. One is the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet, and one is Abu Jahl. But it is something that far um in its context you know far far outstrips the context of you know Arabia at the time of the prophesied because it has so much impact and so when Allah allows this to happen Abu Jahl is saying this he's Allah is almost knowing through qada and qada that he's going to say this and God knows that he will amplify this for everybody to recite to the end of time that have you not seen the person when they bar another from praying and so it did happen but then that thing that happened is now amplified so these these two can we can we say it is also as you've been kind of calling this term tyranny of thought and it's tyranny mm -hmm. of action both mm. will this ayah be tyranny of thought and action both or is it just action because it's uh, the the one who stops the uh, the the act of worship. It's both. I mean, it's tyranny, tyranny, thought and action. It's it's a thought police, but it's the police as well. It's like the physical police. It's the thought police. It's like the it's the officers coming to your home telling you what to do, and it's also the narrative on national radio and television and and the movies telling you what to think. It's both. Hmm. There's a tyranny. And one of the things that the Imam Shafi'i, Rahimahullah, Abu Hanifa, they all agree upon, Dar al-Islam is anywhere that you can establish Islam in public hmm. without any restrictions. Like, you mean the Dar public display, the public display of Islam, which is the prayers, the acts of worship. We're talking about Sharia in terms of its penal law, in terms of its statutory law. We're talking about the Sha'ir, the prayer, the call to prayer, the Jum'ah, the Dua, and, and so on and so forth. The moment that happens, it becomes essentially... Dar al-Am and Dar al-Islam according to a lot of scholars and so that's what you're you're told to try and establish in other words this is a pushback from you know in, in the sense Muslims always used to push towards the fact that they should never be a bar on people being able to pray and if you think of the expansion of Muslim civilization when it did expand it was to places to allow that place to be a land where people who wanted to pray could pray it wasn't expansion for the sake of the, the crops, the wealth, the power. It was to allow the land to be able to be somewhere where you could establish your religious faith. And this is why one of one of our teachers, Sheikh Wahabi Zuhaili, rahimahullah, passed away a couple of years ago now. He said that you know Western international law should, if applied properly, allow the whole of the world to be essentially Dar al-Islam. Because you have religious, you should have in by your your right as a human being the right to freedom of, of religion as an absolute. 
And he says that's the reason why the Ottomans spread, that's why the Khulafa Rashidun, they spread the message of Islam because they knew there's people in the outskirts that needed to hear it. If they heard it, they became Muslim, they should be able to practice that in, in freely in public. And if they weren't allowed to, then they expanded. Simple as that. And if they were not, if they were allowed to practice freely, they would have not have expanded. Like the famous case of Habasha. The Prophet Ali said, leave the people of Habasha, it's really by Imam Tirmid and others. Leave the people of Habasha as long as they leave you. Because they used to let Muslims practice their faith. And it's fascinating, Habasha wasn't one of the, the countries that was expanded. Even though it's the first place, think of this, it's the first place the Muslims go to when they were expelled from Mecca to Muqarramah. It's, it's Abyssinia. Abyssinia is essentially out, out of the realm of being conquered by Muslim um, armies. Because the Prophet said, Leave Habasha as long as they leave you. And it was leave them because they leave you. They let you pray. <laughs> now, if people understood this, it would make a big difference to how you understand Islamic law, how you understand Khilafah, how you understand all the narrative that's going on amongst Muslims about you know establishing an Islamic state and things like that, which is absolutely right for them to do, but they don't understand the nuances of this. <laughs> and this is comes out of this thing. I mean, this from one perspective. It's almost like, for me, it's almost like, think about it now, it's almost like a window for the Prophet Ali Sallallahu to say, this is, this is the, the, the guidelines and the leitmotif and the, the headline of your expansion. That if a person allows you to pray, there's complete peace. And if a person does not allow you to pray, then you have to resist that. You have to, in some way, allow yourself the, uh, the power and the authority to be able to pray. In a specific land, in a specific place, and, and I said that before. And, the narrative and, and pray is not always literal; it's metaphoric as well. No, no, that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying that the idea of is public, a public display of religious affiliation. Affiliation that yeah. you shouldn't feel that you cannot make a public display of affiliation. I think it was, um, so yeah, it was mentioned the SMP leadership yeah. thing. The yeah. fact that your your society in public discourse is so emaciated that. You're not allowed to make public yeah. uh, acknowledgements of your of your religious faith. is is extremely troubling because you know if a white person can't do it, how can a person of color do it? How can a minority person is already like Hamza Yusuf is a person of in a minority situation? How is he going to even fathom that? Yeah, do you understand? Yeah. So some people could like um, Reese Moggs, famous um, conservative MP, you know him, really rich, went to Eton. White, the, the epitome of white privilege. Mm. Okay, and he asked about you know um, his relig religious views. He's a Catholic, so he says, "I just believe in the in the holy sacrament and all the rest of it." And he can say because he's got all this privilege, it's very difficult for a person who's a minority to take that, have the same confidence to be able to get there and say the same thing. He won't survive. Yeah. And so, yeah. we have collectively allowed this encroachment of a secular narrative. In the public sphere, everybody, like everybody, in some way, makes everything. And I'm not going to—I don't like criticizing, but even Muslims, in terms of their their narrative of how they interact with society, all of it's based upon um, we're victims of Islamophobia, anti-Muslim hate. We need rights, and that's our religious identity now. And there's a whole—I've—I did a course Islam, Islam in the West, a lot of it about the whole. I, I think it's a Trojan horse, which the whole idea of Islamophobia is a Trojan horse to water down religious identity in favor of political identity. So Muslims are a political entity and not a religious identity. 
That's what's going to happen. So we can do. Muslims are, are, are you know, that's why I was, you know, in a couple of sessions ago when I was quite angry about this hmm. whole episode. The reason for it is that everybody was singing off that hymn, hymn, hymn sheet. Yep. Yep. All the, the people the, that, you know, all the people, I know them by name saying, oh, we're going to make it, we're working on making a change. Like 15 years ago, I've heard, heard them say this. Oh, we're going to, you know, propose this and councillors will do this and we're in the civil service, we'll do this. You've done nothing. Yeah. And what you've done is ingrained this secular narrative within the public sphere by capitulating and being cowardly in this situation. Unfortunately, that is the truth. So when Allah says, Do you not see the person that forbids, forbids the servant when they try and pray and then would make a public manifestation of religious um, did, affiliation. Did you did you see him who forbids a servant of Allah when he prays? Yeah. No, this event is so amazing. Can you not see? Like why why would he stop him pray? Mm-hmm. How would why would they stop the Prophet from praying? If it's not that he makes a it's a bigger statement than just praying because praying in public in that sense is in a sense show power. Uh, show power. It's a show of power. It's an amazing show of power, to be honest. Like to be able to prostrate in a way that you're not prostrating to idols. You've basically decimated their economy. You've decimated their class structure. Decimated their ethnic stratification. Decimated everything that they hold dear by the simple act of disobedience. Yeah. And at that yeah. point, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam became a heretic in the eyes of the polytheists. Mm-hmm. And heretic, not in the our modern sense of a religious heretic, heresy in the past was actually completely tied in with politics, econo- economics, power, because the moment you disobeyed the, the, the way that people operated, you're a heretic, you're an outcast. And, and, and heresy kind of entailed exact same repercussions that Islam is criticized for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you ostracized... Yeah. And this is what happened to the Prophet during, you know, the three years when they were ostracizing one of the the, the values of Mecca al-Mukarramah, not to be spoken to, not to be given any any trade or commerce, not to be married into complete embargo on the Prophet Ali It's very similar to what's happening in Palestine now. If you think of what's happening happening in Palestine, the the sense of pushing people to the margins of their own lands. Think mm-hmm. of it, Palestine. You know, when I went to Palestine, I think it was about 2008, I was mm. st- I went with a group. I was the only person stopped. Eight hours, I was, I think it was about eight hours, six hours, I was stopped and questioned at the at the entrance and let, allowed to go in. Now, when we went to Jerusalem, we went to the occupied territory, you could see the immediate difference when you just cross into the West Bank from mm. the states, you know, occupied territories, mm-hmm. Israel. You go and you move straight into occupied Palestine. You could see the drop in, you know, infrastructure. Everything, everything was just allowed to be demolished and be, you know, kind of not allowed to flourish. Yeah, the contrast was amazing. But it's this idea of pushing the narrative of the Palestinians out of public discourse, and now it's the same thing. If you look at the discourse of the Palestinian issue. In, in the world, any Muslim country you go to, the leadership does not talk about the Palestinian issue because it's not Abdan Ida Salah, it's 
you know, because there's Christians there and there's they have a, a legitimate political grievance as well as a religious grievance, but let's just say within a secular paradigm, uh, 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 they have a, a political grievance and they're just pushed out to the mar margins. And then you see every Ramadan, the same thing happens. You have this tension point where just to impress upon Muslims the fact that there's a power dynamic in which Muslims have no power, this is the point at which this always explodes. It doesn't happen by chance. It always happens because they know if you provoke Muslims will will respond, and that's a that's the that's this that's the cue for our actions over Ramadan. Mm -hmm. So, Sheikh, Abu, Abu Abu Jahl really really understood the the meaning of uh, public display of um, praying, right? Because the, the next two ayahs are in kana ala huda aw amara taqwa. Did you consider what he is on the right way and enjoins piety? And enjoining piety. Mm. Yeah, so so it's basically this a dialogue. It's a dialogue. So it's it's talking to us, Araita. So it's talking to you. Mm. Okay, it's you're saying, do you? Because remember, there's the Prophet Ali Salatullah. There's Abu Jahl. So these are the two um, protagonists in this instant. And there's you. There's three people actually. You said two. There's three. Three, okay. Ara anta. Ah, so, okay. So I'm the, I'm the one who's watching. Yeah, yeah. This is the whole thing. But there's this this because uh, in, in Arabic you have iltifat, which is this amazing rhetorical yeah. strategy, which is you're not sure if it's you because it could be the Prophet mm -hmm. So the Prophet is being told after it happened. Let's review what happened, mm. which is so deep because it's saying to the Prophet do you not see the situation where somebody forbade, forbade a servant when they were about to pray? Who's the servant? It's you, O Muhammad. In other words, after the event, he's being told, "Learn some. Let's learn something about this." Mm. Do you understand? So he's having to re retrace his experience of this situation, and the problem is being told, "Your experience. This has a bigger ramification than just you being assaulted at the Kaaba." Like Muhammad, you as a person, you have to take a universal meaning from this. So that's one aspect which is like mind-boggling in, in its own way if you think about it. The other aspect is you. It's you. You, Zubair, Amir, one. Look at this. Look, have you not seen? Have you never heard? Have you not reflected upon a person who, who forbids, forbids a servant from praying? Hmm. And so in that sense, there's this sense that this has much more widespread impact than just what happened there it's like imagine something some kind of injustice took place in the street and somebody recorded it on a mobile phone and they're now spreading it and they're pasting it and they're you know sharing it and so on and so forth it's, there's, it's as if they're saying have you not seen what happened this injustice in the street you know in, in america for example somebody's a car stopped and there's a there's a person from the black african-american community they're taking it and they're beaten people take a video and they share it and basically they're saying, have you not seen when this person was just driving to the work and then how they dealt with him? Hmm. It's like the point being, take notice, take lessons, understand that this is a, this is something that should not take place. And 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 then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, you know, takes it even further. He says, okay, make a judgment now. And this is hmm. this is really powerful. Do you not... Uh, 
do you, do you think this person was on guidance? Did he act rightly by stopping a servant just praying? Hmm. Like, okay, you think about it and tell me. And so it's a, it's a question here. It's a rhetorical question. He's not on guidance, but is asking you, okay, think through this. All he's doing is make a public display of worship of God. Do you think this person who forbade him was on guidance? Or he was he was ordering him with good taqwa? Like Abu Jahl, what was he doing? What was his role here? What's ah, the justification? Okay, okay. okay. I, I, this now click. So okay? this, 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 this question is to Abu Jahl. It's been it's challenging him. Do you think you are right? You are on the right way. No, no, it's, it's asking you to think, was he right? Was he right? Okay. In Kana so, Huda, did you think about it, O Muhammad? You know, if you say the Prophet is now being taken out and being asked to revisit this instance that took place, or is us knowing Abu Jahl Abu La and the Prophet were in this situation, and now we're being told, look, this is what happened. What do you think? Do you think Abu 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 Jahl was guided in what he did? He had an ethical, moral reason for what he did. Do you think he were he had taqwa? He was aware he claims to be worshipping God and the idol. Do you think, okay, do you think this is correct? Hmm, hmm, hmm. If the situation is no. But the, hmm. the thing is, it's the person's it's, it's it's you're involved in this as well because you have to make the judgment. Hmm. And at the level of Prophet Ali he's involved because he's being asked to revisit his steps in this whole situation. He went to pray. Abu Jahal said, if he comes, I'm going to stamp on his neck. That happens. And the Prophet Ali is being told now, have you not seen this person who thinks they're completely you know, free of any need and strong? And then he's going to have to come to back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does he think, or have you seen the person when he forbids a, forbids a servant when they pray? Do you now think, having seen that, that they were on guidance or some sort of God consciousness? Sheikh, I think this it's a very simple thing, isn't it? I'm just thinking it's a game of power. Mm. It's simple that eloquence versus eloquence, leadership versus leadership. You have a leader and then you have a prophet who's a leader. Mm. There is no comparison. And then you have you know centuries old tradition there of eloquence, of ajaz, of kalam in, in Arabia. And what you have is Quran mm. in comparison, isn't it? So the, Powerful, it's, not even, yes. it's, it's not even poetry, it's more than poetry. So is this, is this simple idea of, uh, is this, this the power of an idea? Not power, uh, power of numer numerical power, mm. like hundreds of thousands of people against one person's idea. Mm. Like you have somebody who has like on YouTube a thousand, hundred thousand followers and blah, blah, blah. The numbers don't give it power. What gives it power is the idea. If the idea doesn't have any power, it has nothing. Yeah, Does but that... it's idea taken up by strong leadership. Yes, and, yes. And manifested mm. in every sense. Mm. So it's idea followed by action, challenging it. Mm. And there is this divine intervention. Yeah, the divine intervention is, is um, you know, one of these things that you know, if you if you show gratitude to Allah in what you what you're in in your path, then Allah will increase that. It's a very it's a very simple. Well, even in that situation of of being in a situation where you're going to be humiliated, 
you know, by a person public, there's still an amazing um, opportunity for shukr that you have this connection to be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the, the fact that you're in obedience to God doesn't matter. The fallout doesn't matter if you're able to do that. So to, to be in that situation, if you give shukr for that, there's like, it's, it's so empowering. Despite the fact that you're just one individual, it's like any act of civil disobedience is like that. You know you're, you're, you're on the right path. You know that your truth is on your side. History is on your side. And with the Prophet he's praying, he knows history is going to be on his side because the one that authors history is on his side. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is authoring it. He's commissioned him as be the, to be the Prophet. And he's ordered him to prostrate and he's prostrating. And Allah is saying, look, this situation that's happened, it just shows the, you know, the what, what I call the emaciated nature of a kufr society, which wow. relegates religious feeling or religious impulse from public life. Mm -hmm. We're coming to the end of this and what you've said, sorry, I quote Iqbal. <laughs> he says, Guman abade hasti me yakin mardi musalmanka. Gumane abade hasti me yakin mardi musalmanka. Baya banki shabe tariq me kandile rahbani. So in the abode of doubts of existence is yeah. a certainty of the Muslim hero. That in the darkness of the desert night is a candle of monks. Read it again. That's amazing. Guman abade hasti me yaki marde musalmanka biya baaki biya desert biya baaki shabe tariq me kindile rahbani. Guman any idea idea translation. Yeah, give give people a translation because people don't know the meaning of it. In the abode of doubts of existence is a certainty of the Muslim. Is a certainty mm. of the Muslim or the idea. In the darkness of the desert night is the candle of the Rahbani, the person who receives Rahbaniyat. Yeah, the the, the slavehood and the and the divine um, the impulse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. the light light source in this darkness. That's the light source. That's the light source. So yeah, um, what you've said has been said, but in a different way. Alhamdulillah, I'm happy. Alhamdulillah, what, what you said has been said by someone. Who is at par with Sheikh Rizwan? <laughs> no, no, Iqbal is like a, a deep ocean. Very humbled by his words always. Subhanallah, yes. Subhanallah. Yeah, so this, this surah, this surah Alak, is probably translated by Iqbal in his mm. poem called Tulu Islam. Yeah, this thing I was actually going to say that, you know, that I was going to say that like, Rumi, who Iqbal considered to be his murshid. Mm. And Iqbal shared this amazing quality, two very rare qualities in, in Islamic history, of almost paraphrasing the Quranic text for every for people that could not access the text in prose and 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 um, teaching stories. Mm. Very unique quality that they could turn the rhetorical force of the Quran and refashion it into a way that people could access it in the highest form of their own languages, Persian and, and Urdu. Mm. Well, I grant him uh, abundant um, peace, inshallah. Well, Sheikh, Jazakallah Khair for another deep reflection, I would say. Uh, uh, this was my guest, Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad, uh, Surah Alak, uh, the Surah of Civilization, understanding the power of manifesting your faith in public and how it was challenged by uh, the Abu Jahl. And Abu Jahl of today challenges the same. 
uh, and we have a duty to be the true follower of Prophet inshallah. Sheikh, final few moments. Uh, we have a few moments left uh, to, to summarize this. Yeah, so today's um, section was interesting because we covered the we, we kind of tied it into the first five verses. If you take the strand of the Daruj of the Quran being revealed over a gradual period of 23 years, everything happens through a process of, of the Daruj. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because everything happens in, in a state of gradation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially going to ask human beings to re reflect over their own lives. Because if the, if God has taught people things gradually and they're being enriched through this, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to say, okay, take the richness from the Quran. But what people do is people consider themselves to be self-sufficient. And through that, they're in the state of Tughiyan. And so when you get into the state of Tughiyan and oppression, obviously it impacts other people. And the way that we tied into today's session was that it's the barring of religious iconography practice um, ethical thinking within the public sphere and so you can see that this even this strand of Islam civilization and, and knowledge comes very very clearly out of this because the way that we talk about civilization now this is a godless civilization we're living in the public forums and I'm living in Turkey the, the, even the whole idea of speaking about religion in public now is again now being maligned after 20 years of it being spoken about by the opposition because there's, there's something deep in the, the psyche of, of kufr that does not want to hear the divine being mentioned in public. And that is to the detriment of us as human beings. This is a sad thing. It's to the detriment of ourselves as human beings, regardless of your religious tradition, just to detriment, to have that voice missing in the public sphere when we're talking about wars, we're talking about economic and environmental degradation and disaster. To have that voice missing is essentially to the detriment of everybody. Iftar in Glasgow is at 8.15. Inshallah, I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Reflection of the Sheikh Rizwan. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh.